0: If you're wondering what's next, yeah, we got you covered. It's episode 337 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. I'll be honest. I enjoyed the first episode of Next on Fox so much. I decided to talk about it again this week. Just happened to invite Special Agent Shay Salazar on the show this week. That's right, Fernanda Andrade going to join me to talk about the big cliffhanger from episode one, tease a little bit of what's going to be going on on episode two before it airs Tuesday night on Fox Yeah, she's going to have some very interesting things to say. I could tell you that. Plus, we'll hear from a couple of the stars of the movie Save Yourself. That's right. We're going to have Sunita Mani on the show this week. And we're also going to have John Reynolds talk about their characters while I review the movie. This week, we'll drop a couple of clips from my interview from them. You can see the full interview over on our YouTube channel right now, actually. Also, some great comics to talk about this week. Always some interesting nerd news. How about we start things off? with a double review this week. We're going to be talking about the season two finale of the boys from Amazon. That's up next on the down and nerdy podcast. Hi, this is Cass Anvar, Alex Kamal from the expanse, and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast. Stay tuned. Who's going to make the first move. That's right. It's the season two finale of the boys on Amazon prime video that just dropped today. If you're listening to this on a Friday, Friday, Of course. So here's what I'm going to do in this review. I am not going to spoil this finale episode. Even if you're listening to this in the middle of the week, I just don't want to take the chance that somebody's going to listen to this on a Friday, get a spoiler for the finale, and get all mad at me. So, not going to spoil the final episode. We'll talk spoilers up to this point, though. So, if you're not caught up on season two of The Boys, this is your spoiler warning. So, to me, we're leading into this point, right? And to me, it's a who's going to blink first sort of thing, right? And where do they go from here? And let, let me put it this way. There are some nuclear options in this finale episode. I will say that. I mean, you can understand how someone might be out of sorts based on what happened in the previous episode. And, and of course, one of the big things that happened that we saw, you know, Homelander and Stormfront, they take Ryan, right? They they take Ryan Away from Becca, and you can only imagine what Mama will want to do about that, right? So you've got you've we've got that to deal with. You've got you know everything that happened at the hearing. We're still still dealing with the aftermath of that, and you know how is how is Butcher going to respond to that? How is you know? It seems like every time they think they've got Vaught, they really really don't. And and and, you of course you know Butcher, not the most stable dude in the world, especially after everything that happened with his dad in that previous episode, right? Because, I mean, wow, right? It's pretty incredible. But one of the things is, I think the best arc so far in this season, I mean, Stormfront's been very, very good. Aya Cash deserves a huge amount of credit for how good this season has been. But really, to me, Homelander's arc has been very very interesting because we know how dangerous he is we know how unstable he is but the way that he's kind of let stormfront manipulate him in a way right because that's kind of what's been happening you know slowly but surely you know she will feed his ego enough for him to kind kind of want to follow along with what she's going with what she's got going on right you'll see her say certain things right about her you know, clearly Nazi past, right? You'll see her say certain things, and then you'll see Homelander just kind of make this face, or just kind of look at her, and she's not necessarily looking at him, but look at her, or looking away, like, yeah, I don't really know about that. So then you start to think to yourself, does wait a minute? So Homelander's not that far gone after all. He's still a nut job. Don't get me wrong; he's still crazy, and we get to see that. In this finale episode, I could tell you that right now. We get to see just how unhinged and nuts Homelander can really be. Don't get me wrong, we do see that. But at the same time, you see these little flashes of, huh, so maybe he's not totally far gone. And the crazy thing is, like the legit crazy thing is, is that he does now seem to actually care about Ryan. He seems to actually care about his son, and that is the wildest thing to me. Like, at first, it seemed like, yeah, he cared that this is my son, and I'm going to make sure that he gets taught the proper way to to use his powers and things like that, but but then you see these genuine moments where it seems like he actually does care about this kid, and it's, it's wild. It is so... So bizarre. So I think that Homelander's arc, out of all of them, and there's been some really, really good ones, but I got to tell you, Homelander, what they've been doing with him in this season has been pretty freaking phenomenal. I mean, there's been other stuff too. I mean, just like the way we've gotten to learn more about Huey and how he just does, does, does not give up, even though, of course, he makes that stupid mistake with Lamplighter. In this past episode, like like even I'm like this isn't gonna end well, dude. But you know when you're in love, you do stupid things, right? You, you absolutely will do anything you have to do. And he and he was there was no way he wasn't gonna try to save Starlight. There's just there's no way. Of course he was gonna go after Annie. There's no question about it. But but in the dynamic between Annie and Butcher has been great for me too. I have loved watching the two of them just kind of go back and forth a little bit and how we get to see. Annie push him a little bit right we get to see him, her push him and you know push the envelope with him and that's not always a safe thing to do with Butcher by the way but Butcher does a lot of growing in this season and especially, wait till you see what happens to Butcher in the finale and I, that's not to say and, and that's not don't read anything into that right I'm just saying wait until you see how this all goes for Butcher in this finale episode, because there is a side of William butcher that you probably thought you were never going to see that you were going to see in this finale episode for season two. And, and you are not ready for this, right? You're, there's a couple things you're not going to be ready for in this finale. As a matter of fact, like there was one scene in this finale that freaking broke me. I mean, I was, I was not prepared for this, right? You're prepared for shocking moments in the boys, by now I think I mean when you see someone literally rip someone's face off, you kind of have to be ready for anything at that point, right? I mean, if the and you know driving a boat through a whale, literally early on in the season, you got to be ready for shocking moments. So you're ready for shock, right? You're ready for something crazy to happen. But I'm I was not prepared to be emotionally like broken by a scene in this show the way I was for one of these scenes. In this finale episode, just, I mean, absolutely unbelievable. The other thing that I've been, that I've been kind of waiting for is like, I always wondered, again, Homelander, scary dude, you don't want to get on his bad side, I understand that. But Queen Maeve, and how she kind of, speaking of broken, we've seen how she's broken down in the last couple of episodes leading up to... This season two finale, and I'm thinking, as powerful as she is, and and as incredible as she is, when is she gonna just freaking stand up for herself and stand up to Homelander? I realize that you know Homelander's got a lot of powers that she doesn't have, but still, this is a this is a strong, you know, basically the female leader of the seven, right? And you'd think that if they threw down, she's got skills. I'm not saying that. Homelander wouldn't eventually win the day, I think he probably would. But Queen Maeve? Yeah, she she just her lack of confidence kind of baffles me at times, right? So, you you know, will we get to see how that plays out in the finale or won't we? I mean, I could tell you cuz I I've already seen it and maybe you have as well, but it's just to me I was always wondering, you know, when's going to be that when is that moment going to happen where she's finally going to get the confidence enough to be able to stand up to homelander. I mean, you've seen flashes of that conf- confidence, but I mean, when you get broken down emotionally on a personal level, that can affect everything. And we we've certainly seen that so far from Queen Maeve. And 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 again, you just you want to see things work out for some of these characters. Right? I mean, you're invested like mother's milk. You want to see MM get back to his family, don't you? Eventually, you do want to see that. You want to see you know, Frenchie, get a better life for himself. You want to see, you know, Kimiko just be happy because she doesn't seem like she's ever had a chance to be happy in her life. And and, and I know you're shipping Huey and Annie. I know you are. And I understand that completely, right? You just want things to work out for some of these characters. But, you know, understandably, I could see why, you know, you might be hesitant about that, right? I'm just telling you right now, this finale episode is bonkers. It is absolutely insane, and there's a couple of things, actually, and I'm going to give you a little bit, some teases right now. There's something that happens at the end of this episode that's going to be your cliffhanger for season two, and it will answer a pretty big question about something that happened that one of the most shocking moments of the last couple of episodes Of season two, it will answer a question that I absolutely 100% had at the end of season at the end of that particular episode, and it will all make sense. It is a reveal that I think you'll be really surprised by. I don't think it's one of those things where where I mean, if you caught some subtle hints, maybe I don't think it's one of those things that you're going to see and you're going to go, oh, yeah, I called that. Yeah, that was pretty obvious. No, I don't think that that's going to happen. At all. You'll also get to see how things play out with the deep and the whole church of the collective thing. And, you know, a train's kind of been hanging out there a little bit as well. You'll kind of see how that plays out a little bit more. There's just uh, you're going to get a lot of answers in the season two finale. So if you've been waiting for some sort of I don't want to say finality, but if you've been waiting to get some answers and see how things are going to progress and work out, you're going to get to see some finality for some stories and some characters. I can definitely promise you that when it comes to the season two finale of the boys and this whole season. I mean, season one was pretty close to perfect. Season two might have managed to top it. And I I do not say that lightly, but especially these last few episodes of season two really solidified to me that this show continues to up its game. And I can't possibly imagine how they're going to continue to do that in season three but the way this writing staff's been going and with this cast nothing would surprise me at this point that's going to do it for my spoiler free review i mean ish of the boys season two finale up next going to keep the reviews rolling i'll talk about what i think about save yourselves and we'll hear from the stars sunita sunita Mani and john reynolds about their characters we'll mix that in with my review up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: This is Jessica Lucas from Gotham, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Every now and then, you just have to go off the grid. You just might pick the worst possible time to do it. That's right, I want to talk about Save Yourselves from Bleecker Street. We'll do a spoiler-filled review of the movie. Not going to reveal everything, though, but it's basically a sci-fi comedy about a couple, Sue, who's played by Sue Tamani, and Jack, who's played by John Reynolds, who you know they feel like the, you know you you're kind of scrolling a little bit too much on your phone, spending more, too much time on your screens and not enough time with themselves and it's not just about the relationship it's about themselves as well so they decide to sort of drop everything for a week, go off the grid to a friends and you know, the friend was making up it was was cleaning up a cabin you know out in the middle of nowhere for a family member so he decides they just he says, "You know what? You guys take it go. Just just have a good time and go. And they think, you know, John and uh, J- Jack and Sue think this is a good chance to, you know, go and, you know, work on themselves, work on the relationship, right? Well, what they don't know is, is that while they're gone, these poofs have landed on Earth and they're hellbent on taking over the planet and destroying everyone in their path. So that's basically what we've got going on here. And as far as Jack and Sue are concerned, I that was my favorite part of this movie were these two characters and how they interacted with each other. And just the, just, you know, the, 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 slightly goofy nature of who they were and how, you know, they, they, you know, they didn't really know much, right. They, they like, there was at one point, Jack, I think says, you know, I don't have any skills or, and it may, or maybe it was Sue that said, we don't have any skills. And I thought that was freaking hilarious. And, and it's that folly sometimes that makes this show funny, but it's just the way, the way that these two interact with each other is so, so incredible. As a matter of fact, I want to play a clip from my interview with John Reynolds and Sunita Mani um, for the press day for Save Yourselves and listen to them actually talk about their characters. I thought
2: they were two fools in a pod, just like, (laughs) I think we thought we were like uh, like blissful dum-dums. John and I talked about it a lot um, when we got the script, and just how fun it would be to play these characters. It was so clear on the page that it would be a fun and funny movie to do. So I was like, kind of immediately endeared to them because of the premise that they're, and like the whole idea of the movie. Right. I
3: feel like I immediately got the satire and. Uh, Jack was so relatable to me. And I feel like I have so many friends and there's parts of Jack that I definitely have in myself as well. So that was all very clear. And then having uh, the opportunity to do with Sunita and knowing her from, from comedy in New York, I was like, Oh, this is going to be two clowns in the woods. This is going to be like blast.
0: And that's exactly how I would describe them too. It's like two fools in a pod. That's exact. Sunita kind of nailed it when she talked about that, because these characters I don't know how you don't find them likable, right? I mean, you might be frustrated about that how they approach each other's relationship. you, you know, like Sunita, I mean, excuse me, Sue has one idea of how she thinks their relationship should be. and then John kind of has another idea uh, of how to approach, you know, being uh, better for themselves and for each other, quite frankly, you know, as 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 their selves and as a couple. So they definitely get to learn a lot about themselves in these moments. But I don't know how, as a, as a unit, you cannot love them in everything that they go through in this movie. And they go through a lot. I mean, it, it it definitely takes a while to build to the part of where they're actually confronted by these aliens, by these poofs. And I'll get to them in a second. But It's interesting because the first time I watched this movie, I thought, man, this has taken a while to get going. But then when I watched it again, I thought to myself, you know, I realized how much I just just loved these characters and how this movie, it's not your typical sci-fi movie. It's a very character-driven story. And I think that you don't necessarily fall in love with the premise of this movie. You fall in love with the characters that happen to be set in a unique premise of this movie. And therein is the key to enjoying save yourselves, is in understanding that you you'll you'll you know you go into this thinking, okay, I'm going to see this interesting sci-fi movie with these two characters that, that clearly aren't like survivalists or anything, and let's see how long they can manage to survive once they find out that the earth is being invaded. So you, you're coming at it from a sci-fi angle at first, and I understand why you would do that. But then once you get more and you dig into this movie a little bit more, you realize how character driven it really is and you're like what well, you, all of a sudden you it's like this light bulb goes off and you go wow I'm really attached to these characters and oh by the way there's going to be some some sci-fi stuff going on too at least that's what I found myself doing anyway that's how likable these characters are and how fun they really are together so and speaking of these poofs it's really really interesting because you know I thought Tribbles at first they're definitely not Tribbles by the way they're like these but they are like these fuzzy little footstools, right? And you could they could virtually go unnoticed and they kind of did throughout the movie. And then once you see what they do to people, it's like, My God. God. I couldn't believe it. As a matter of fact, why don't you listen to don't 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 take my word for it, listen to Suniti and John talk about how they felt when they saw what the poofs could do for the first time.
2: It was awesome. <laughs> it was uh yeah, it was like, oh shit. It was like watching the movie. I loved that. Just as, it was just as, like, fascinating and, and weird and scary and, like, fun. And I think that translates on screen. And it, I love when we got to experience an audience watching it at Sundance. And it was really fun to, like, hear the crowd react to the poof. And I feel, feel like I was having that reaction on set, too.
3: Because the poofs, there was, a, there, I mean, there were practical effects. So, it was like, we physically saw the poofs. And we saw a lot of how they would move you know, but yeah. there was also some slight touches they put on in like after effects at the end. So,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, we s- sort of see the poof kill people on set. And then I think when Smith and I first watched the movie and we actually saw how like violently they murdered mm-hmm. people. I mean, we both had that moment where was like, I-, I didn't know they were going to do that. <laughs> you know?
0: yeah. That's true. That is so true. It's, you know, like when you're watching this movie and I don't want really to give too much away, even though I'm, we're doing spoilers here, When you're watching this movie and you go, oh, these things are cute. Ah, they look harmless. I mean, how much trouble could they really be? And then you see, you know, how they're killing people. And and a couple of other things that they could do where it's like, that's trippy. How on earth are they, you know, how does somebody come up with them being able to do that? So it was was a really unique way. And, And again, you're not your typical aliens, right? Now, certainly not what you would expect for your typical invaders. And... That's the thing. I expected the comedy to come from these poofs, right? I expected part of that, you know, like how in Gremlins, when, when some of the comedy actually comes from the gremlins themselves, right? Not the case with the poofs. No, 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 no. Not at all. The, your comedy's going to come from from Jack and Sue. That's where it's going to come from, and, and there's plenty to enjoy there. And then when you get to see how they react and how they deal with it, it's, it's very. I think it's very genuine quite frankly and and you get to see you know them try to make their escape as well and there was there were so many funny moments in that and there was a lot of self awareness in that too where you see them you know try to understand that okay well if we do this we could die so let's not do that and you get to see them make some questionable and maybe at times stupid decisions you get to see how they they well you know what instead of me telling you i'm going to go ahead and let jack and soon need to tell you, especially Jack, because Jack does drop, excuse me. Yeah, John does drop a spoiler in one of these parts of my conversation. I mean, so since he opened the door, we'll go ahead and talk about exactly maybe what they would have picked up along the way.
3: I mean, the biggest dilemma for me, and I don't know, watching and, and I don't know how I would react is uh, the baby. Oh, can I say that? Are, are we doing spoilers?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say a similar moment, like the, the whole truck when the truck is around
3: the truck scene <laughs> is, yeah. Uh, yeah 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 i know I what you're know talking I, about yeah you know what i'm talking about i've i mean i've already said it <laughs> they have like
2: yeah confronting like uh, someone else yeah in the same moment is is wild yeah. and i i because you're just with them the whole movie i feel like that is a big turning point that i don't know I want to say it would handle different uh, differently. I don't know, but
3: right, sure. There were like a moments. There were moments where they're inept, you know, from a technical standpoint, where it's like, oh come on, you know, build the fire, or it's like, <laughs> don't shoot the gun out the window, you know, uh things like that. <laughs> but I mean, I think the moral dilemmas were. I think when I watched it back, I was like, I wonder what I would do.
0: And that right there to me, that statement by John was one of the things that I think kind of summed up this movie for me. And one of the other things I enjoyed about it was that you might judge them for the choices that they're making in the moment, right? But then you also start to wonder because this movie feels so true to life. You're like, okay, well, you know, what would I do? Or what would I have done differently? Like the scene that they're talking about with the truck and the baby. What would you have done sort of thing, right? And and I won't spoil it again because, you know, it's... While well, he did make that reveal, there's there's way more to it than just that. Trust me. So it's like a what you know what would you do in that situation? That's another thing I loved about this movie. The only thing that frustra- frustrated me was the ending. And and I'm not saying I didn't like the ending. And it certainly didn't ruin the movie for me. Obviously, but it's like a it, it's a big question mark. Let me just put it that way. And I guess it's m- more of like a okay, you get to choose how you think things worked out sort of thing. So and that's all I can really say about the ending without spoiling anything. But I think you're going to enjoy the ride from Bleecker Street and save yourselves if you, if you watch this movie available video on demand right now at your favorite digital retailer. I think you're really going to get a kick out of this movie and I really do think you're going to fall in love with the characters of John and of Jack and Sue. I really really think that you will. And again, thank you so much for Sunita Mani and John Reynolds for joining me this week, uh, for joining me to talk about Save Yourselves, which is also available, by the way, on Blu-ray, should you decide to go that route instead. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Save Yourselves from Bleecker Street. And again, my conversation with John Reynolds and Sunita Mani, the stars of the movie. Up next is next, my conversation with Fernanda Andrade. Agent Shay Salazar herself from Next on Fox is up next on the Down and Nerdy podcast.
1: Hey, this is Blue Diamond Phillips from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast.
0: It's definitely no secret. You guys know how much I love Next on Fox, I'm watching it every Tuesday at nine o'clock, like you guys are. And I've just been so looking forward to having her on the show. It's Agent Shay Salazar. Herself Excuse me Special Agent It's Fernanda Andrade how are you doing today
1: Hi I'm great how are you
0: I'm doing really well Now Fernanda when I saw the first episode honestly not not even kidding Special Agent Salazar was really the character that kind of interested me the most So what was your favorite thing about her when you got started
1: Oh thank you that's so good to hear You know I I think I had I had this immediate connection with her the script that that Manny Coto wrote was so good and it was I think her strength and her determination was really apparent from the get-go so the idea of playing this extremely strong character but that also has as you know as you find out through the first episode her vulnerabilities really come to light so uh, it was really cool to see that like okay even though this is only the first episode that I'm reading I can see that there's a complexity to her that there is and that there and that all of her sides are going to be explored as opposed to, you know, she, she's not just an FBI agent. She's a mother, she's a wife, and she is confronted with this truly existential as well as, you know, life-threatening for the whole world mission. So it becomes so much bigger than herself so quickly. And I think that, I don't know, I, I, I admire that in people that, that spend their time and energy and dedicated to things that are bigger than themselves and i and i saw that in her immediately and i was just so pumped to
0: to be a part of it no doubt about it now speaking of that first episode we actually get a really good introduction to her family life in that episode which i think really added personal touch which i think you were kind of touching on there so how strong is that family bond do you think and do you think her family is kind of what motivates her the most
1: Absolutely. I think that it's the core of her. And I think it's what drives her really to do everything. You know, she's an exceptional, she's an exceptional agent. She's, uh, she's excelled at her job. She's, she's an immigrant and she's come to this country and kind of made something out of nothing. Like so many of us, you know, I'm an immigrant myself and I admire that in her. And you see that building her family and making her home in this country has been at the forefront of everything that that she does. And I think that her connection to her family and her love for her family is the root of what also drives her work. You know, her work is not is is not a light load. It is really heavy stuff. You're dealing with some of, you know, truly the underbelly of humanity and society when you first meet her. And um I think that I always have this idea that, you know, sometimes when people work these really dark and difficult jobs you think that they are dark and difficult and i think that there's a there's some truth to that but i think that it what what is more true about them and what's more resounding about people that choose this line of work is that they have this unbreakable hope and optimism for humankind that keeps them going you know and i think that really comes from her love of her family, and it's rooted in that wanting to cultivate that and and putting that at the forefront of everything that she does so that go- that shows up in her work and that obviously shows up in her relationship and that definitely shows up once next burst into her life and it becomes apparent that that is the that is the monster that she needs to drive this through um, in order to save
0: let's talk about that work for a second because i mean she really has kind of a second family in her team and i gotta tell you one of the most unique squads of a team that i think i've seen on on any show i mean they're they're coming from everywhere so (laughs) what do you think makes them want to fight for her so much and do you think that we'll actually to continue to see that trust in each other in that group kind of be tested throughout the season
1: absolutely you know i think her team is crucial and critical. And I think that like you said, it really is a second family to her. And she she has picked each one individually on purpose because they are exceptional, right? They're exceptional in different ways, but they they, they are completely dependent on each other and they have a trust in each other. You know, despite their differences, they're obviously very different, as you can see with CM and and um, Gina and Ben, they're, they're very different people, but they have extremely, not, o- not only extremely outstanding skills, but they have really different backgrounds and pasts. And I think that Shay, because of what she went through and who she is and what she's been through, I think she can always see, or she tries to see, you know, the hardest people and the what, what they can do. And I think that she sees that in each person and every single one of them also have that thing where they they you know they want to do good and of course it's hard to tell which uh and it's also you know that's the thing that you hope for people but you never know if it's a, if it's actually where they're going to go or not and i think that's part of what causes the tension and and the friction and the terror in in the story as well right you don't know really what what cm's loyalties where they lie oh, and totally. you don't know and you know so so, so you it creates a lot of conflict internally, but at the same time, I think that she really is a, a, a bit of a, not only a leader, but a bit of a, of a mama to all of them in, in a strange way, because uh, these are people that have also come from a difficult, different background, much like her own. So I think they have an understanding of each other, even though it's not necessarily spoken.
0: I like how when you said difficult, you like verbally underlined it. I actually literally in my brain saw the word difficult being <laughs> underlined when you said that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a, you know, it's, it's a simplistic way of putting it, but it's true. You know, her, her past is really complicated and, and, and it's dark and it's something that she certainly tried to put behind her and build a life here that is devoid of that. And once Next starts infiltrating into her as you'll see in in the next episodes. I mean you see it in the first episode you see it at the end there you know with as it's like really starting to hit her family and mm-hmm. how terrifying that can be I think it, it I mean that moment for me even when I read the pilot was just a oh, you know oh my god and I think and I was so pleased to watch the pilot and feel that same way of Oh God. Oh no. Here it is. And, and it's, and it's hitting her at her most vulnerable, which is her son, Ethan.
0: Absolutely. Now I really love this dynamic that Shay has with Paula Blanc on screen. And it's just so incredible. <laughs> so how do you, what do you think <laughs> is the most interesting thing about this sort of forced partnership?
1: Oh man, it's, it's the best, you know, it's like, it's the buddy movie that everybody loves. It's also you know, they meet and they're so wildly different. They don't get along. <laughs> they don't really have any interest in getting along. But life forces them imminently. This imminent danger forces them not only to have to work together, but their lives and everybody else's lives depends on it. So it, it creates a lot of conflict and it creates a lot of comedy, surprisingly, as, you, as you'll see. And But also, as wildly different as they are, they are complementary. And it was just... It, it was just so fun to do on a personal level, you know, for many reasons, not only because John Flattery is an incredible actor and I'm in full admiration of him, but also because it, like you said, you know, we did, and it, it was fun. It was fun to play that and fun to discover that because of course the world that she, that Shay has built is very familiar to her. And obviously when next shows up, it just, throws a grenade into everything on top of meeting Paula Blanc who she's like what is this guy like what right he can't really he's somebody who really has no tact for lack of a better word but is brilliant and Shea is somebody who is extremely in touch with emotion and understanding people and seeing what they take right it's a part of her job so when she meets Paul LeBlanc. It's very apparent very quickly that he cares zero about any of those things. So, it's 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 polar opposites. But it's uh, I think in the end they really do need each other.
0: Talking to Fernanda Andrade, who of course plays Special Agent Shay Salazar on Fox's Next, which you can watch every Tuesday at nine o'clock. Now I'll, I got to be honest. A little bit of a spoiler for episode one that anybody, anybody hasn't seen. But my one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in that episode is when Shay confronts Next about her case files being deleted, because it really should. you want to talk about Mm -hmm. strength and being a fighter, that to me showed her just standing up and like, here we go. So how fun was that scene to shoot?
1: (laughs) Oh man, it it was actually really fun. It's funny because, I, this wonderful actress, Alion was working. Uh, she played Serena and she was working with us. And I remember we were doing that scene and she, <laughs> she goes, and I remember when we were done, she goes, wow, you really go from zero to a hundred because, because you, you know, to get her to get yourself really in the place of facing this thing. I think for Shay, it was not only really fun, but it was also really crucial to the story because you know, she chose a life of, of cyber, and cyber crime, right, for a reason. I think that, you know, she's not an FBI agent who's on the ground. She's not somebody who's out there facing criminals. There's a certain, like, safety to being behind the screen and dealing with things a specific different way. So she's never really had to. And I think, personally, she's she's been terrified of actually facing <laughs> the bad guys per se. And I think she's now being forced to do that. And that's her moment. And it's just so extra weird that it's a machine or a machine or whatever it is, you know, a, 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 an artificial intelligence. It's just so insane that the insanity of it wrapped up together with her rage about what this thing is potentially trying to do is is <laughs> really fun And also, super important.
0: Hey, I took a couple steps back from my screen when I saw it. I was like, whoa, hey, look at her go. Oh, (laughs) hey, oh, hey.
1: (laughs) It's a joke. It's a joke. My my husband and I and and his brother and his wife, we have a group chat. And every once in a while, they'll be like, give me back my files. (laughs) 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 And and it's like it's become a joke in in the family. And it's pretty funny. And it's obviously
0: from that scene because it's so like... (gasps) you know. I love it. I love it. Now, you, you talked about uh, your showrunner, Manny Cotto, a couple minutes ago, and I asked him about this when I chatted with him uh, before episode one, and I want to ask you the same thing. So, given how connected we all, all are in this world, and of course, after watching this show, what would you say is the most low-tech part of your day?
1: Huh, Of uh, just my normal life?
0: Yeah, just your everyday. What is your most low-tech moment?
1: Oh, man, it's certainly my mornings. One thing that I don't mess with not doing is that uh, i i wake up and i i meditate every morning. Oh nice. And i think i think that that's really kept me sane <laughs> yeah. in life and in work and in everything. So i like to it's a little bit of a thing that i don't mess with and it's a that that sacred time and also kind of preparing you for okay like okay now i'm going to delve into my phone and my computer and life and everything else. So that's it. That's that's my, that's my moment
0: in the morning. Excellent. Excellent. Now, Fernanda, I can't let you go yeah. without talking about it. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. This is what I'm going to make everybody nervous mm-hmm. about spoilers and stuff like that. We're not going to do that, though. But Ooh. we saw the clip <laughs> at the end of the first episode. We saw what was going on with yeah. Ethan. I'm still on edge about it. You're still on edge about it. And you've lived it already. So give us a quick <laughs> tease now. Just how worried should we be?
1: Oh, man. Just full worry and it's it's it, you know i think this is this is this is our worst nightmare this is what you know elon musk and stephen hawking and everybody has been warning us about and i think it, this show really drops us into the reality that it's already here and i think there's no better moment that's a microcosm of what's to come than that moment
0: my dad radar is is full on for this i hope you realize that so i i kind of need to be able to sleep yeah. i need to get to this next episode <laughs>
1: Well, you gotta trust Shane. You gotta trust Paul. You gotta give us a little bit. You know, we're 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 gonna we're gonna give it our all. So, so as long, as long as you root for us, I think I think we can get through the season.
0: And you can root for them every Tuesday night on Fox. Make sure you're watching next. You can watch it again too on the Fox app as well. And you'll see everything that she's got going on, and it's a lot of great stuff. It's Fernanda Andrade. Thank you so much for joining me this week.
1: Thank you so much, James.
0: It's a pleasure. This is writer Eric Burnham, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. doesn't matter if those panels are on a screen or on a page. What matters is that you're reading, and it's time for what we're reading, and the landmark issue of Batman is here, and it's the Joker War finale as well. It's Batman number 100 this past week from DC Comics, of course, written by James Tyne IV. Also, art by Jorge Jimenez on the main arc, Tamir Mori. On the colors, Clayton Cowles on the letters. We have a couple backup stories here after the main arc that's kind of an epilogue sort of thing. Carlo Pagulian on the pencils for the Clown Hunter story. Danny Meakey doing the inks for that one. And Gilliam March doing the art for the Punchline story that follows in this. So yeah, I'm going to be dropping some spoilers. The book's been out. You've had the time to read it. This is your spoiler warning. So I will just go ahead and go on with that. And basically this features the... I don't want to say final battle between Batman and Joker because, I mean, really, is it, is it ever the final battle like ever? I mean, you, sometimes you think it is. I mean, I remember during these uh, the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo run, I thought that might have been the final battle and that wasn't. I mean, there's been so many that you think it is and it's not, but I digress. Anyway, so we get to see this battle play out between Bruce Wayne and the Joker basically because we are talking about Bruce Wayne here because it's almost a Batman versus Batman after Joker tries to, you know, make his own mantle of Batman. But I think the coolest part of this entire book, at least in the beginning part anyway, was Batgirl. That's right, Barbara Gordon sits down in that chair. She says Oracle's back in the house and she rallies the Bat family. She rallies the city of Gotham. She rallies the GCPD to basically start fighting back for their city. I mean the bat family was going to do that anyway, but everybody else, you know, rallying around Batgirl, I thought was really really neat. And I thought that that was a big power move. I also loved the showdown between Nightwing and Punchline. That was really really neat and kind of unexpected too. You don't expect it to be Nightwing that ends up going up against Punchline really. Or at least I didn't. You're you're expecting Harley to show up at that point and that's not Really, what happened, and it, it was just really cool to see it end up being Nightwing instead, and get get a little comeuppance for punchline there. But in this battle between Batman and Joker, it's really interesting because you know, of course, he tries to use Alfred's body against him, and that that doesn't really work. You know, he tries to he's always trying to mess with Bruce's head, and it's it's like the, nothing works between either one of them against the other, and that's kind of the realization. You sort of come to in this book, you know, it's it's like the bad relationship that's never really over. And then the twist that comes in this whole thing, and this is a big spoiler here, is when Harley shows up. I'm not going to say exactly what Harley does, okay? Because I think that's a little bit too big of a spoiler. But there's a big power moment for Harley in this book. And then what we get is a choice that needs to be made. And that choice seems to be the key. It's almost like forcing someone's hand, and I thought it was a really, really neat way to go, and I actually kind of thought the choice might have gone the other way for a minute there, so that they did a really good job at setting me up for that. Now, what we get to see is the aftermath of what happened. You, you can kind of imagine where it's going to go from there, and then the aftermath. The, the The conversation between Harley and Batman I thought was really, really interesting. Actually, it's almost like I don't know, like a weird acceptance of her. In a way it's 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 very odd, but at the same time it's it's kind of satisfying in, in a weird weird way. But here's something that happens in the in the epilogs of the story. You get a, you get a couple of epilogs here. We've got we we finally get the the identity. We know who Clown Hunter is for sure now. And we get to see kind of how Bruce handles that situation. I won't go into any spoilers for that, but we're going to see more about that in Batman 101. And then we get a story for Punchline, which I thought was also pretty interesting. It's almost like doing a complete 180 and and what this does for that character going forward, I think is going to be really interesting. The thing that frustrated me was how that ended. And I'm not saying I'm frustrated because I'm not saying it wasn't good and it doesn't set up something interesting down the line. It's just, you know, when you think you're done with something and then you realize you're not even close to done and you just wish you were done that's kind of how I felt about that part of the story but again I thought the Joker war overall was a really entertaining really good well done story it certainly did something that hasn't been done a thousand times before so I really really appreciated that and it does kind of give you a at least for Gotham and for Batman Bruce Wayne a a bit of a fresh start point here to go from issue 101 and into the future. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what the future holds for the Bat books as it goes after this. And, I mean, yeah, pick this one up. It's absolutely worth your time, Batman number 100. You'll be sorry if you didn't. Let's just put it that way. Now, this one I've been waiting to talk about for a long time. It is the Transformers Back to the Future, number one, the crossover that, you know, combines two of my, you know, favorite fandoms from when I was younger. And K-Man Scott gets to do the honor of writing this one. Juan Samu on the art, David Garcia Cruz on the colors, and Neil Yutake on the letters. And again, spoilers for, full for this one too as well. So this year, spoiler warning. Basically, it's the Decepticons had witnessed Marty's first time travel in Back to the Future 1 when he's trying to get away from the Libyans, right? And, and they see the time machine and, and Megatron's like, yes, I have to have this time machine to destroy the Autobots. Now, Bumblebee kind of, you know, nixes that plan pretty quickly. But what I thought was interesting was Marty wakes up and all of a sudden Hill Valley is under the control of the Decepticons. And even I'm blinking my eyes like, did I miss something? Did I like skip a page? What what happened here? I'm not exactly sure how this happened or where this went. Now, we don't really know what happened to Doc at this point, you know, or how any of this happened. But but again, you, this is the first issue. And, and this is, you know, this is certainly one different way to tell the story. And now we see, and there's a big spoiler at the end that involves the DeLorean that you might already know about, but just in case you don't, I'm not going to go ahead and spoil this for you. But I, I again, this was, I mean, it was entertaining and, the, and that's what the book sets out to be in the beginning. It tells you, you know, this book is, if nothing else, it's entertainment. And, you know, you're not worried about canon or anything like that. It's just, it's, basically it's the book's way of telling you, just sit back and enjoy it. Shut up. Just sit back and enjoy it. We're going to take you on a little bit of a ride here. We'll do We'll do some things differently. How about that? Now, one of my favorite parts about this book was the was the art, though. I must say, and, and shame on me for not being, uh, you know, very aware of Juan Samu's work up to this point. But, man, I like the vibrancy in the art that was in this thing. And I love the character designs that he comes out with. I mean, nothing strays really far class from the classic designs of the Transformers characters at all. And I, lo- I love the expressions that he gives to his Back to the Future characters. There's there's, a, there's some panels with Biff that I thought were really, really funny just by the way that they were drawn because you can kind of see that in Biff. But as, as far as the story itself goes, yeah, there's definitely some plot holes there. There's time to fill those in, though, since this is just the first issue. And yeah, there are a few jumps here and there. But, you know, kind of the Back to the Future movies put you have put you in that situation before, too, like when Marty climbs in the window... And, you know, he, he thinks he's going into his own bedroom and he doesn't And Back to the Future too, right? And you see how that plays out. And then they explain it after the fact. So maybe that's just the way that these comics are going to roll. So, well, I mean, again, I was entertained. I wouldn't say I was jumping up and down about it, but I was certainly entertained by what I read. I love the two properties together. And it certainly makes sense that the Decepticons would want to go ahead and grab the time machine. And it certainly, you, you, you kind of see where this might be going as far as story is concerned, but hey, only time will tell. I'm kind of excited to see where this is gonna go. So yeah, if you're a fan of these two properties, yeah, go ahead and grab this one. I think you'll be entertained. And I think the best is yet to come. I I just kind I've got a gut feeling about that. That's gonna do it for what we're reading up next. How about we talk about a little bit of nerd news? I'm James Witham and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, I'm Trey Romano from DC's Stargirl, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Something strange is brewing in the Spider-Verse. It's time for nerd news and big news this week from The Hollywood Reporter that states that Benedict Cumberbatch has joined the cast of the upcoming third Spider-Man movie, of course, reprising his role as Doctor Strange. Now, I'm reading through this in the news, and we'll get to the nuts and bolts of it here in a second. It says something about how, you know... Doctor Strange takes over the mentor role that was previously held by Tony Stark and gives him a father figure and all this stuff. I'm like, you know what? Does Peter really need that anymore at this point? I mean, you can't just replace Tony Stark, who he idolized beforehand, by the way, with Benedict Cumberbatch and with Doctor Strange in that same role. Sure, Peter's going to respect Doctor Strange. But I don't really think that's where they're going. I I really don't. And, I mean, maybe part of that, right, you know, it's not like maybe Doctor Strange could, you know, ease the pain of of Tony's loss a little bit more than I'm sure Peter's still going to be feeling in this third Spider-Man movie. But at the same time, father figure, come on. No, I don't think we're going there again. Just because it's another guy that's older than him doesn't necessarily mean it's automatically going to be a father figure thing. If anything... This is going to introduce the multiverse, because we know multiverse of madness, Doctor Strange 2, is going to begin filming here soon in London. So, if we're introducing the multiverse here, then and the casting news about Electro that happened last week for Jamie Foxx, which terrifies me to my very core, but all the evidence seems to point here to a Spider-Verse movie, does it not? And it really seems like that's where they're going. Plus, there is precedent in the comics, correct me if I'm wrong, about Peter Parker going to Doctor Strange to help the world forget his secret identity, which of course we saw was revealed by Mysterio in Far From Home. So we could see that. What we could also see is, and here's a, it's Crackpot Theory time on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So to me, it's like, okay, so... Peter seems like he probably needs to get out of Dodge for a little bit, right? It it's not safe for him to be in his universe. So he assists Doctor Strange and whatever the hell's going on in Multiverse of Madness and all the universe hopping and alternate realities and stuff like that. Well, what if they happen to of course they're gonna bump into Electro, it seems like, in this in this little jaunt. Or Electro is brought into our universe, it into Peter's universe, to just see how it goes. But I, th- I think we're setting up Miles Morales here. It just feels like it's time for a live action Miles Morales, especially if you're going to do a Spider-Verse movie anyway. So Peter and, and Miles meet up and there's a, and, you know, of course there's a bond there and, and, and they assist each other in whatever's going on in Miles' universe. And, you know, of course, of course, I hope to see Tobey Maguire again. Hopefully he's involved. Even Andrew Garfield. What the hell? Throw him in there, too. I just want to see, you know, something epic. If they're going to make this epic, like Avengers-level epic, you might as well go all the way with it. But where I'm going with this is what we're going to see, what what we could see is Peter deciding he can't go back to his universe for whatever reason. So Miles Morales takes that mantle, and Miles Morales becomes the new Spider-Man for the MCU. Sony gets their Spider-Man back, Peter Parker, and can start tying him in with Venom and some of the other movies that are going there. Because let's face it, this deal with Marvel Studios and Sony not going to last forever. Okay, I don't know how many movies they still have left on that deal, but now that Endgame has happened and it feels like everything's becoming fresh and new, introducing Miles Morales as the Spider-Man for Marvel Studios would not only send fans through the hype roof, I think so many fans would be so excited about that and it adds some much needed diversity into a new Avengers group that's going to be probably introduced here in Marvel Studios and just in general, right? It just introduces a character that's young that people would love that you can really build on for the future. And again, there's there's a good diversity there as well. So yeah, it's a crackpot theory. I realize that they're probably it's probably not even close to correct. But, you know, it's a theory. You know, if it pans out, then yay for me. If not, nah, who cares? So, either way, it's going to be interesting, though, because Spider-Man 3 is going to start filming in Atlanta. Doctor Strange 2 filming in London, I don't know how much they're going to have Benedict Cumberbatch hopping back and forth, or maybe they have certain spots where, because obviously he's going to be a big part of his own movie sequel. We don't know how many scenes he's actually going to be in in Spider-Man 3? Is he just going to be a means of transportation? Is he, you know, once he, they get him there? I don't know for sure. I don't think any of us could know right now, but hey, you know what? If if this gets us some sort of an epic Spider-Verse live action movie in any form, I'm going to take it. I actually think that Kraven the Hunter could be a part of this too. What if Kraven the Hunter ends up trying to hunt down Peter Parker while they're doing all of this universe and an and alternate multiverse hopping. And I'm not saying I know how he's going to be able to do that because it's not like, you know, craven has got that kind of power. Maybe there's a Doctor Strange foe that helps him do that. But imagine Kraven hunting Peter Parker through the multiverse. That would be pretty cool. And then, you know, you'd probably need some a little bit of help with that, whether it be from other Spider-Men, other Peter Parkers like Tobey Maguire, or from Miles Morales. So there's just a lot at play here that I think could be very, very cool. And I mean, hey, a guy can dream, can he? Either way, I think that this is going to be a pretty amazing movie. I mean, it's Spider-Man, right? You don't need star power either. That was the other thing I saw as well. Oh, to add star power it's a frigging Spider-Man movie. You don't need star power. Spider-Man is all the star power that you need. And Tom Holland does an amazing job playing Spider-Man and Peter Parker. That is all. So don't worry about that. New York Comic Con kicked off this past weekend and oh yes there were trailers and announcements and things like that. Let's go through some of these trailers really quickly actually. You've got Invincible from Amazon Studios. That's right the Skybound adaptation. The Robert Kirkman creation with Ryan Otley and a whole bunch of others as well. Going to be coming the animated series in 2021. They're going to have eight hour long episodes. That is where they're going with that. And if you're not familiar with with Invincible, by the way, it basically follows Mark Grayson. He's 17. He's kind of a... He's, you know, just coming into his... Well, not necessarily coming into his powers. But, you know, when your dad is the most powerful superhero on the planet, Omni-Man, you, you kind of... You know, there's a those are big shoes to fill. So he's, you know, coming... It's a coming-of-age hero type story. But what if you find out that your dad might not be the heroic superhero that you thought he was, right? And you're there... You, they don't really scratch the surface of that in the first trailer. It's basically a very a, a introduction to Mark Grayson and his character. But then you start to see some stuff that doesn't look very hero-like a little bit later on in the trailer. And I can't freaking wait for J.K. Simmons as Omni-Man. By the way, I think you could just tell from the little bit in that trailer he's going to be freaking awesome. And Steven Yuen is going to be playing Mark Grayson as well. There's a lot of great. Members of this cast, you've got Sandra Oh, Seth Rogen, Jillian Jacobs, Zazie Beats, Mark Hamill's in this freaking thing. I mean, come on. I I think I've talked about who's going to be in this cast before. There's a ton of great members of this cast. So I'm certainly looking forward to this. 2021 is when this is going to be coming out. No exact date yet, but hey, animated series, it's the way to go in the pandemic era, right? It's, it's It seems like nothing can stop animated series from being done and animated movies too by the way because another one that we got was the announcement that the Adams family is going to be getting a sequel that movie is going to be getting a sequel as well this time from MGM and a couple of new additions to this cast by the way before i get into what was basically a teaser trailer everybody's back except for the except for Finn, Finn Wolfhard he's not coming back to play Pugsley that is now going to be the voice of Pugsley is going to be Javon Wana Walton is going to be Pugsley in this second movie and Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live going to be added to the cast to play a new character named Cyrus and the trailer that they put out I say trailer in air quotes because it was basically just a you know basically Uncle Fester saying we're back and you know just a little bit of hijinks here sort of thing but I'm not surprised that this movie is getting a sequel. It did have a little bit of a synopsis, Not, but I mean, it didn't really reveal a whole heck of a lot. If you want to read it, go to nerdypodcast.com But I mean, this is going to be coming out October 9th, 2021, and it's an animated movie. And so, I mean, the voice acting stuff, a lot of that stuff's been done from home for a lot of these other films. So yeah, why not? Why not do this? Go ahead and, and, and make a sequel for Adam's Family. The first one wasn't bad. I mean, it's never going to be the same as when you had Raul Julia and, and company. It's just you're never going to capture that again. Plus, this is for a younger audience. I, I think this is perfect for the Halloween time. So, yeah, go ahead and give me an Adam's Family sequel. Can't wait for that. Did you see the tension in the Snowpiercer Season 2 trailer that came out? At New York Comic Con, by the way, that season going to debut January 25th, 2021. If you want to catch up on season one, HBO Max is going to have that for you on January the 1st. This is really setting up to be Layton versus Mr. Whitford, isn't it? And of course, Sean Bean playing Mr. Whitford. I say that it's a battle, but you know, Sean Bean dies in everything, so it seems like Mr. Whitmer going to lose that battle. I'm not saying he is. I don't know that That's what's going to happen. Hopefully, you know, Sean Bean actually survives more than one season on this thing. And I do think there'll be a season three of Snowpiercer, as good as it's been. But I mean, hey, deV Diggs versus Sean Bean. Yeah, give me that all day long. Plus, we see seeing like trains connecting and things, the trains connecting to something and things like that. You're seeing people venture off of the train. There's snow inside of the train. What the hell's happening there? And And there's just so much going on. There's so many little action pieces and bits and um, sort of bits sort of thrown together. It's hard to get your bearings on exactly what's happening in this upcoming season. But the way that last season ended, and I won't spoil it for you just in case you didn't see it. But yeah, it's setting up for a major showdown. And even the trailer says you think that, you know, this is where the revolution ends. It's just beginning. And we're like, yeah, we know. Don't worry, it's cool. Thank you so much for pointing that out though by the way. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to season 2 of Snowpiercer. Can't wait to talk about that. Speaking of something, I mean we I talked about the release date for this a, a few weeks ago. Unsolved Mysteries getting a second volume on Netflix on October the tw- on October the 19th. Excuse me and we did get a trailer for that season and there's some and I, what i love about this about this new unsolved mysteries reboot is you're getting a little bit of everything and it you're getting an hour long episode for each you know where the old unsolved mysteries you get you know several cases in one show over an hour period but this is really a deep dive i mean everything from a murder of a washington insider to a tsunami post tsunami ghosts in Japan from 2011. I mean, there's just so much going on. There's so many intriguing and intense cases. And I mean, the best part of it is you get to, you know, try and solve these cases along with everybody else. It's, it's the beauty part of this series, right? These cases that have been dormant, for so long, and the intrigue, they only give you a fraction, a small fraction of what's going on in each case, sometimes not even that. So there's a lot of great teases here, and just the way that this is shot, it's just stunning, and there's no host, by the way, for volume, again, for volume two of Unsolved Mysteries, because you're never going to replace Robert Stack, And, and Netflix realizes that, so why do that to yourself? right i love the way that they've put this together and and a lot of it it's very documentary style you get you get some stuff that's that's shot as as original too but quite frankly this is so well done it was so well done in the first volume the second volume is going to give you more of the same clearly if you've seen this trailer i can't wait to talk about this i got a chance to see one of the episodes a little bit early going to watch the rest of the season i'll have a review for you probably coming up next week here on the show and i really can't wait to talk to you about it just based on the one episode that i saw it's so freaking good you just make sure if you've already got it added to your list just block off some time on the 19th you're going to want to binge watch all six of these episodes i can tell you that right now Really quickly, a couple more announcements. One that came, actually a couple that came right around the start of New York Comic Con, actually a little bit before, both from HBO Max, actually. Lumberjanes, the Eisner award-winning series from Boom Studios, finally getting that animated series adaptation, and it's going to be coming to HBO Max. And, of course, you know that Noelle Stevenson is going to be involved in this, right? She's going to write and direct, actually, a debut special It's going to be an hour long that's going to kind of be a kickoff to this series, and th- this is going to be a script to series order, too, by the way. So there's a lot of confidence going into this right away. This is something that's been rumored for a while, actually. Don't worry, the fellow creators of Lumberjane, J- Lumber Shannon Walters, Grace Ellis, and Brooke Allen, Brooklyn Allen are going to be co executive producers involved with this as well. But I mean, think about it Noelle Stevenson coming off a very successful run with She and the Princesses of Power. And, you know, this is a very, you know, the you've got April, Joe, Mal, Molly and Ripley. If you're not familiar with Lumberjanes, I mean, this is a this is a very, you know, a very friendly show. There's going to be, you know, some hijinks, obviously, but I mean, it's going to explore friendship. And I think that that's something that y- you kind of need right now. Right. In this world, it's just going to be a feel good show. And I think that that's something. And it's going to open a lot of a lot of different doors, I think, too. So I think it's going to be really, really neat to see this brought to life as an animated series. Obviously, no release date on this one yet. But, you know, as soon as, as soon as that happens, well, more updates coming up here in the next six months or so, I'm sure. Here's something that's going to be interesting, too. And DC is going for a preschool-age animated series. It's kind of interesting. It's going to be called Bat Wheels. And this is going to come to both HBO Max and... And Cartoon Network, and it's kind of exactly how it sounds. It's it's the it's the rides of the Bat Family kind of come to life, brought to life by the Bat computer. So I mean, you've got you've got BB who's going to be the Bat Girl cycle. You've got BAM who is the Batmobile. You've got Red which is the Red Bird, you know, Jet for Batwing, and then Buff for the Bat Truck. And it, it's you know, pretty simple concept. They're, you know, they're banded together to oppose evil, combat crime, and clean up the streets of Gotham City, but they're going to be very inexperienced in doing this. They're actually, the quote from the press release said they're kids with little to no life experience, so there's going to be growing pains there, not just in crime fighting, but just in general, right? And Sam Register going to be the executive producer of this thing, the great Sam Register. So, I mean, again, this is a way to get the kids started early on their fandom, right? And if you're already a fan of Batman and just DC in general and you want your kids to to love it too, there's something you can watch with your kids and you can enjoy it. I mean, obviously it's not going to be for adults, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that's not necessarily intended for adult, for adults and you can dig it anyway and again, watch something with your kids. And if they'll see that you love it, if they love it too, then you know you bond over that. That's never a bad thing. Any more news that comes up from New York Comic Con, we'll talk about next week if it's really huge. And, of course, follow along in real time at downandnerdypodcast.com. Speaking of which, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You want more from us, always follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com slash nerdy. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.